Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 318 of the Peristyle Podcast. Big show for you this week. Talking USC football. If you have any questions or comments, drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you can give us a call, 206-888-6755. Leave us a voicemail. Try to keep it brief. We will play it on the podcast. Or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. That's where you can find us and you can leave a voicemail right on the website right from your computer if you want to do that as well so a lot of ways to get a hold of us we do love to hear from you keep talking to us during this offseason we'll answer any questions that you got for us all right and uh before we start i want to let you know dan weber's coming up later on the show we're going to talk to him about the usc football team coming out of spring ball and all that but we have to start off with coach harvey hyde who happens to be in lovely catalina we're talking to him on catalina island he has such a life coach what's going on sir how are you well, I'm not going to be here for long, Ryan. I'm just here for a short period of time. Now I'm going to do the podcast and then head back to what people here say, the mainland. Oh, uh, okay. Go back or over town and, uh, you know, get back and hit the freeway and find out uh, when you go somewhere, it takes you an hour. Well, here it takes you two minutes and uh, get back to the real life that uh, we have to live. But I love coming over here. And if people haven't been over here, they ought to try it. It's a beautiful place. And, uh, I enjoy it very much, but we've got a lot to talk about today, and uh, let's get started. Yeah, let's do that. I'm going to have to do that, Coach, though. Before I'm going to have to come over to Catalina and work, because you were telling me off the air how it's no, no distractions over there. You can just go over there and work. I think that'd be a great thing. Go over there, work, make, take a run on the beach for a break or something. I'm going to have to try that, Coach. I agree with you. Let me tell you, I get more done here than I actually do over there, because you don't have to get, get do your mail. You don't have to go to the bank. You don't have to speak anywhere. You know, maybe luncheons. You don't have any of that type of stuff to do here, so you really get a lot of paperwork done, and you get a lot done uh, here in Catalina. And, and uh, when you get back, you're you're ready to hit the road and take care of those other things. But a man needs to rest his mind occasionally, uh, and physically here, I work out harder here than I do there, because I have the time that I don't have there to put in uh, lifting weights and walking or running and do this, doing the things that are healthy for you. All right, this podcast brought to you by Catalina Express. No, I'm just kidding. But I do want to whatever. <laughs> Maybe they should. Uh, hey, Catalina Express, if you're out there, you want to sponsor the show, let us know. Just drop drop me an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, and we'll hook you up. The actual sponsor of the podcast, though, is Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. You want you got Clippers tickets? That's going to be a really interesting game with the whole Donald Sterling thing coming up. Uh, you got. Hockey, you got baseball, lots of stuff going on here in Southern California across the country. Give them a call, 800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. They'll help you out. And uh, Coach, okay, this might be the podcast of reaction to what Coach Harvey Hyde says week, I think. So there's a we got a bunch of different reactions. So I'm going to play you a voicemail and then read you a couple of questions about what you kind of said about the spring game and then get your thoughts on that. So here's the, the voicemail question first. Hello, this is Philip from up north. Uh, this is for Coach Harvey Hyde. Harvey, I'm surprised at your comments last week. As I see it, Coach Sark is right on the button. 
uh, with his players for the game. Dan is right. The last day of uh, actual practice was Tuesday. Um, however, they have accomplished a ton during this spring camp, and as fun and as I understand it, they have instructions to um, carry on that throughout the summer. I believe the fun for them was satisfying for fun. It was deserved. That they will have all they can handle come the fall. Bye bye. All right, coach. So there was that. Then we had that was Philip. Then we had Theo write in. He says, Coach needs to slow down a little bit. This is one practice built around the fans, too. Not only that, but a significant portion of the team was on injured reserve. They chose a safe route. Spring isn't where it matters. It isn't like a preseason game in the NFL. It's, it, it's not worth the risk. They just barely installed the, the base fundamentals. And on top of that, why would they go out and show their hands? Stanford is the second game of the week. It'd be stupid to see a player injured and lost for the season in a spring game. That was Theo. And then one last one, Coach. Sorry, I'll let you react to all these guys. Stephen Poway had a kind of funny one. He said, uh, dear, dear Ryan, I've heard a lot of anger and frustration from USC fans and Coach Hyde at the quote-unquote carnival that was USC's spring scrimmage last Saturday. Why, uh, why there were more T-shirts given away than first downs, but no one is more frustrated than I am. Now I only have one week to prepare for USC instead of all summer. I've been waiting patiently for that Fresno State game film. I'll be waiting patiently for that Fresno State game film to get a look at USC's new offense. Wish I didn't have to wait that long. Signed, Coach David Shaw, Stanford University. So that's actually Stephen Poway saying <laughs> saying that one. So <laughs> lots of stuff there. Philip, Theo, and Stephen Poway all kind of piling on a little bit, Coach, but I wanted to get your thoughts. <laughs> well, uh, I want to thank first uh, all of you for reacting <clears throat> and giving me your thoughts because, you know, mine are only uh, – uh, my 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 opinion on, on what I saw and so on. And, and Philip, thank you very much for uh, telling us uh, how important a team is. And I agree with that 100%. I think that Coach Sarkeesian has really brought a team type of attitude. I think the kids are having fun. Had a chance to eat with the team once. They're all positive. I had a chance to speak at a class with some of the players. It's all positive. So I want you to know everything that's been going on here uh, during spring practice and the spring uh, semester, I think, has been really good. Unfortunately, a lot of players have gotten hurt. I agree with that. That's part of the game of football. Really, too many. I I, I commented on that last week. Uh, how can you have 23 players miss the spring game? And, of course, Ryan reacted by saying, uh, I think that if they were playing Fresno State or Stanford, half of those would be able to play, and I agree with that 100%. As far as uh, getting the team attitude and getting them together, I think he's accomplished that. The only point that I was bringing, and I want to again mention this, that I think that it's a work day. I believe that a spring game is a work day. And what I mean by that, I don't know, Philip, or any of you, if you're an attorney or if you're, you're a banker or if you're whatever, but when you go to work, I don't think that you shoot T-shirts around the bank, around the office, and I don't think you really, uh, uh, you know, have someone come in and, and be a teller for a couple times. Uh, to make sure the customer serves and the customers are happy. And when you only have 15 days, it's a work day. It's a work day. You've got to get out there and accomplish as much as you can. Now, at USC is not the only university that's done this. If you watch around, Nebraska started it last year. UCLA did it this past weekend with a tremendous, tremendous uh, point uh, as who they celebrated and honored. I thought that was tremendous. 
But I think also that you've got to remember that you've got to accomplish what you can as far as uh, getting its substitution in and out of the game, keeping it at a fast pace, not correcting on the field, uh, making sure that you give both the offense and defense the opportunity to get a lot on tape and become a better team during the offseason. And, and you've got to instill in your, your players, whenever you get in full pads, it's for real. It's for real. Whenever you put all pads on, it's the real deal. Protect yourself. In fact, when I used to uh, coach, I would never allow a player to take his helmet off. Now, a lot of you people say, oh, man, is that ridiculous? Uh, I'd say, no, the helmet is the second most important piece of equipment on your body, and you've got to have it on and you've got to be ready. If I come down to you and I say, get in there and, and get in there for Jones, and you've got to say, well, I've got to go back to the bench and find my helmet. I mean, man, are you kidding me? Go back and find your helmet, have it on, be ready to play, show me you want to play. In practice, yes, we used to have time to take your helmet off, get on one knee, everybody suck it up for a minute, get some water, and do whatever you have to do. So to me, there's different ways of getting it done. Some teams, you take Norm Chow or June Jones, I believe June Jones at SMU didn't get in pads the entire spring ball. They just threw the ball around and worked on their timing, and that's the way June Jones does it. Now, I'm not sure, but I think it was something like that. I I mean, we could check on that if someone wanted to go to the website and find out. So there's different ways of learning how to win. So at me, it's a work day whenever you get in full pads or you get on the football field, and you got to get certain things accomplished. And I don't think, as one caller uh, wrote in or or text in or whatever, that uh, a carnival out there, it, it more or less gave me that type of feeling. I wanted to have the football type of atmosphere, and uh, I think that uh, uh, it just had a little bit too much for me as far as play rather than work. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think what the other part of those questions were. Injuries, of course, are very un- uh, unfortunate. The I mean, fall, a, lot of, a yeah. lot of them talking about, it? A lot of talking about Stanford not seeing – you don't want to show Stanford anything because that's the second game of the season. Well, let me put it to you this way. Stanford has already played Washington every single year, and uh, Steve Sarkeesian isn't going to change that much in his offensive game plan. There's only so many things you can do with the offense. Of course, you've got different players, and you can do things to try to defeat the Stanford defense or the the defense playing Stanford a certain way, too. Will Cox has got a certain way to play Stanford's power uh, football game. Uh, So, you know, no SC has broken down every single thing that Stanford has Sarkeesian and his staff knows every single thing that Sanford does. And don't think that they don't have people who went to those spring games. You're not supposed to, uh, you know, uh, scout practices, which you don't. And they and I think both teams uh, don't uh, do every single thing they have, but they threw a lateral pass in, in that game, and I, and I didn't think that looked real good in running that play. I mean, it, it lost 23 yards. I mean, I mean uh, do things that you can get better with. So, you know, I'm positive. I'm positive. I want to see more goal line situations. When you get down there in the one or two yard line or four yard line, put the ball there. And you've always heard me talk about putting 12 guys on defense so your offense gains a lot of confidence and then pound it in. Have 15 minutes of goal line or 10 minutes of goal line. But explain to everybody and let them believe that once we get, get this far, no matter how far we're going, that we got to score. And I know that in the theory and the philosophy of this offense, it's we don't need a lot of plays. We're going to have a lot of big plays. We're going to score quickly. 
And a lot of times we won't have to have short yardage offense on the goal line because the theory of the hurry-up offense is score. Get there in a hurry. You're not going to have a lot of third and ones and fourth and twos. In fact, if you watch Oregon play, they go on a fourth down a lot of times because they have confidence that it's just another play. So I'm sure that's uh, why they don't do a lot of goal line uh, offense, but uh, it's always important that if you get down there, if you have a short yard, uh, that you can get that short yard. But again, it's a different philosophy at a different time. We haven't seen him in a game situation. I'm waiting to see him in a game situation. So a lot of this stuff we're talking about is all speculative. It is all speculative, Coach. Um, but I, you said a lot of interesting things there. One of them I want to talk about, uh, touch on a little bit more, was you were talking about when you put the pads on, that's the real deal. And maybe, you know, as a former coach, maybe you can kind of explain what the practice differences were like. Because it does seem like, and maybe it's different now, but there's fewer practices with full pads on. A lot of them are more in shells where they're just wearing, like, the shoulder pads and they're not wearing, you know, leg pads and things like that, thigh pads or whatever, uh, lower body pads. Um, what what was the difference then? And have you seen a shift of the number of practices that are, are in full pads now? Oh, yeah, but the NCAA uh, has a format of how many full pad days you can go and how many hours you can practice and all of the above. But uh, – when I used to coach and when I used to put the kids in like helmets and shells or whatever you want to call it or T-shirts or just helmets, hey, that was a celebration. That's because somebody's done something right. Or their legs are really tired because they work so hard that you've got to give them a day of rest or congratulate them on what we've accomplished when we've been in full pads. Uh, it's got to be a reward. That's the way I used to feel. It's a reward to have a light practice. And... uh I think the only way you get better, honestly, is, is play football. And uh, ones against ones, twos against twos, one offensive def- or one number one offensive tackle going against number one uh, defensive end. Uh, I used to say you're going to get better during the week than we do during the game because if we have great players, you're going to get more reps and you become a better football player. And I think that's where you get better and you demonstrate it on Saturday. So that was our philosophy and it's a different philosophy today but if i was going back in the coaching i'd work within the rules to make it as part of the old philosophy as far as how much can you really do uh, towards the way it was done because you want to breed toughness in your football team physical football teams then you've got to have team speed with it and you got to be of course like philip said you've got to be a team in everything you do and uh, i think that uh uh, today, uh, well, I, I, I've said this many times. We used to wear a T-shirt underneath uh, our pads. Everyone wears a T-shirt in most cases. Ours used to say "Rebels" in four-inch letters, and or, or no, used to yeah, "Rebels" in four-inch letters, and "Me" in one-inch letters, because it was "Rebels" then "Me," and a lot of times today it's more "Me" if I don't catch so many passes, or we don't get this done, or I don't get enough plays then it's hurting my chances to go to the NFL. You know, you'll have a chance to go to the NFL, and you don't need your name on the back of your jersey like I was talking about last week. People will find out who you are by the way you practice and the way you play. That makes sense, Coach. Um, Let's see. We had a question from Jesse Rodriguez, retired sergeant. I wanted to read that one for you. Love the show. Can't wait for fall to get here. We we agree with you, Jesse. Uh, Let's get the summer to speed by so we can get fall camp going. 
Uh, this question is for Coach Hyde. What do you really think about uh, our trench players, and how do you think our defense and offensive lines compared to uh, other conferences such as the SEC, the Big Ten, and the Big 12? Fight on. That's Jesse Rodriguez, retired sergeant. Well, Jesse, congratulations, and thank you very much for what you've done as far as serving for our country and giving us the opportunity to live in America and be on a podcast like this. So thank you very much. And I love football like you do, but I respect people like yourself. Uh, damn, after all that, I forgot what he asked. <laughs> about the – I'm sorry, Coach. He was talking the about – what? He was talking about the trench players uh, comparing – I know you – Oh, are, yeah, okay, I got that, it. Yeah. I got it. That's why you have guys in the press box, okay? You have a spotter, yeah. Yeah, you got to have somebody say, hey, what, what, what yard line are we on? And the guy says, okay, thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, uh, I think, uh, obviously, the Southeastern Conference has really dominated and continues to dominate uh, because of its great marketing. If you notice, not only are they doing it in football, they're starting to do it in other sports, uh, track and field. Uh, they're coming up in softball and a lot of things because it's, it's a religion down there. It really is. But I think that next to the Southeastern Conference, I believe the Pac-12 is the second toughest conference in America. Now, people don't believe that. doesn't get the exposure that the uh, East Coast and Midwest schools get. The Pac-12 network, uh, excuse me for saying this, uh, isn't up and running at a, uh, at a pace that the Big Ten network is and also the ESPN and some of these other uh, networks that these conferences have. Uh, I think that the, that the linemen currently uh, in the Southeast Conference are what everybody's shooting to have or shoot for. They have that type of defensive line or offensive line. I believe that. I think the Southeastern Conference has great speed, great speed and quickness to go along, and they hit, and football really means something. You don't have too many days where you have the carnival type of atmosphere on the football field there. People, I don't think people would be satisfied in the Southeastern Conference with that type of spring game. That's just my opinion. I think in the Big Ten, I think the Big Ten is a physical conference. I think they're starting now to get more coaches, if you notice, from the Southeastern Conference into the Big Ten, why they want to follow that format. You've got Franklin now at Penn State. You've got other coaches that they're hiring away, and there's a reason why they're hiring some of these coaches into Big Ten from the Southeastern Conference because they want to have their style of play so they can raise their level of competition. Now, last year, Michigan State went to the Rose Bowl and had a win. They beat Stanford. You've got to congratulate Michigan State. They're a very physical football team, and they played the same type of football that Stanford played. It was smash mouth the entire game. When it was fourth and one, Stanford didn't make it, and Michigan State won the football game. So you've got to give them credit there. But do they have the depth? in the Big Ten of playing at that type of level. Ohio State obviously is a good football team, but they got beat in their bowl game. I think Oklahoma beat what, Alabama, which was a tremendous uh, victory for Oklahoma. You have uh, uh, Wisconsin, who always puts a team on the field that's very physical, not speed-wise, but they want to smash mouth you. So I, I think uh, the Big Ten is in a transition. They've added two new teams to their conference. Uh, i I, I got to figure out how that helped them, but I know those two teams couldn't wait to get there to cash their checks. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so and I think the Pac-12 is one that doesn't get its publicity, but they got some great teams. They, you know, 
the Pac, look at the Pac-12. I mean, who's your gimme? I mean, Washington State's going to be a team that can beat anybody. Oregon State can beat anybody. Arizona now with Rich Rodriguez, I'll tell you, just got a great four-star recruit the other day, a tackle that everybody in the world was recruiting. He's starting to step up his caliber of play. He had a big win in his bowl game. He can beat anybody. Uh, Arizona State, look what Graham's done there. Stanford, what can we say about that? They've been to four straight BCS bowl games. Oregon, Washington, uh, now is... Uh, Chris Peterson, uh, how important is football at Washington? He's the highest paid coach, I think, in the Big 12 or the Pac-12. He makes t- uh, more than, uh, than Steve Sarkeesian makes at USC, so they think it's pretty, exp- uh, pretty important there in Washington. So they've made a, a facility race in the uh, Pac-12. Everyone's building new buildings. UCLA is getting a new football complex, and it's in – Jim Moore's contract that if they don't have it started by October, they have no buyout. They don't, if he would decide to leave, there's no buyout. So all of these arms races in the Pac-12 are something else. The facilities are unbelievable. Uh, FC's facilities now are unbelievable. So it's an arms race, and it's a race to get great athletes and, and play a style of football where you can win. And I think the Pac-12, uh, offensive line-wise, um, Stanford's very physical. I think they're getting better. But everybody looks at the Southeastern Conference as the defense and offensive line conference in college football. Yeah, for good reason. <laughs> you can see yeah, it. they so, do. And that's something I think that has to change for the the Pac-12. But it's, it's you know, we've talked to Gerard about this a lot, and it just seems to be you're finding more uh, kids that are look like they're ready for college in the South – as opposed to on the West Coast. And some of the West Coast linemen seem to be more projects. They might be 250, 260 when you recruit them, but you have to see that potential, and they grow to 290, 300, and end up being really good linemen, where it, it seems like it might be a little easier. There's just more kids that are athletic and already 300 pounds coming out of high school uh, in different parts of the country. I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100% on that. And, uh, um, SC just uh, got a verbal, verbal commit from a kid in Georgia. Now, I haven't seen him on video, but I've talked to my, a lot of my coaching friends that have seen him. They say he's a real deal. I mean, he gets off the football. He's a Southeastern ta- Conference type football player, and I hope they can keep him. Yeah, you want to. I mean, that's, that's what's been good with USC is you can pick a couple guys out of there. And I think typically they've picked a couple skill guys, but you want to get the Leonard Williams and the different kind of linemen if you can get out of the, in the SEC because you can get skilled guys on the West Coast easier, I think, than you can get some of the guys in the trenches. Um, but all right, we'll talk about that more uh, in a future show. This this last one, Coach, is from uh, MACD in Vancouver, British Columbia. Another strong reaction to one of your takes uh, that you've talked about, and this is more about the uh, having players pay back their student loan if they leave school early. So it's kind of long, so I'll read it to you, Coach, and, and get your reaction but I thought it would be an interesting topic to kind of to end your segment on. But Coach Hyde, Harvey Hyde has been adamant on players needing to pay back to the school their scholarship if they leave early. Why do the players need to be punished if they leave early? If It is it is the professional leagues that determine uh, when a player can enter. If the NBA determines one year, it's after high school graduation. The NFL is three years after high school graduation. MLB three years if the student-athlete goes to a four-year school. The NHL doesn't have an age rule. Why should the student-athlete 
who has to go to university because it's the only realistic level to compete at in order to make the pros for football and basketball, why should he be punished for having to pay that money back? He says, also, Stuart Mandel pointed out, neither the O'Bannon case or Northwestern University uh, Union case are asking players to be paid. Quote, unquote, getting paid was not part of the agenda, which instead calls for the modest student-athlete uh, welfare protections like guaranteed scholarships and covering post-eligibility health costs for player for football-related injuries. The plaintiffs in the Ed O'Bannon case aren't arguing that players should be paid a salary either. So he said the inaccuracies that are being thrown out there by many over being paid make it easier for the NCAA PR machine to keep saying they do not support pay-for-play when that's really not the issue. As well, Coach Hyde saying that players receive everything in their scholarship is inaccurate as there are pushed for a full cost of attendance due to the student-athlete full-ride scholarships, not covering everything. Whew. All right, sorry, that was a mouthful, but MACD in Vancouver, British Columbia, what do you think about it, Coach? Well, thank you for reacting, uh, because it gives us things to talk about, and I appreciate you and your thoughts. Uh, first of all, when I say pay player pay back, you know, uh, I don't think a player should ever be punished but I think a university should never be punished either. I think it's a mutual agreement that when you sign to come to our school, I think it's there's some oily factors. Like I've also mentioned, I don't think coaches should be able to recruit and, and then leave immediately after with the players uh, being penalized for that. I think players should, again, that signed with that class. If that coach leaves before those players play, they should be released or given the opportunity of coming back or going to another university. I think it's got to be somewhat neutral as far as loyalty and believing in each other and saying, I want to go to USC or UCLA, wherever the hell you want to go to school. And a coach and a kid can feel comfortable that he has the opportunity of staying. Now, I agree on the four-year scholarship. I agree that kids should have some spending money. And uh, we talked about the walk-on situation. Finally, they've decided to pay walk-ons. And if you notice, in the last couple of weeks with all this going on, when Northwestern's kids started to talk about unionizing, the NCAA all of a sudden decided, wow, we better make some changes here. And some of these changes that used to take years are being done or thought of as happening immediately, which needed to be done. If you remember, I was the first one to say five years ago, what would happen if before the BCS championship game that both teams decided not to come on the field? And we're not playing unless you address some of these issues. I'm the first one to have said that for years. So I really support the players. I'm a player's coach. But I also believe that players should think about coming out early because what if they don't make it in the uh, NFL? What becomes of them? Educationally and all the other things that go along with it. If, If you can't be guaranteed in your own mind or these agents that try to tell them you should leave because I know you're going to make this much money. If you don't know if you're going to get enough to pay back your college scholarship, what are you going to live on the rest of your life? And you better plan out, hey, I know I'm going to get this. It's not just some guy trying to sign me and talk me into going out there. But a lot of kids that are coming out this early, uh, early this year, take, keep track of it. See how many of them actually make an active roster in the NFL, and now all of a sudden their college degree uh, they have to go back and, and work on their college degree. And if I'm a coach uh, and a kid stays and he goes out and then wants to come back, I'll, I'll make sure he graduates. But, again, 
think about it. A kid leaves you early and he wants to come back and graduate. He doesn't make it in the NFL. Now, didn't he break some of your trust? Not that I wouldn't do it, but you've got to remember you're running a football program, which is a business. Now, when people say that college football is not a business, it's an amateur sport, you're crazy. It's a business for the university. When the, when the football team does well, the university makes more money and donations and everything else. More marketing, more tools, more uh, sponsorships. The whole package happens. So I think the kids should be taken care of, but I think there should be a, a loyalty, more of a loyalty than there's right now uh, with the coaches as well as the players. And I hate to see uh, kids leave college and uh, not make it. And then uh, I think that little thing of saying, now, am I really going to make it? But if I don't have to pay this money back, but I think also the players should get more, enhance them to stay in college so that they can be like a normal student and have the necessary uh, things uh, to be uh, sociably part of the university. Uh, They're talking about now what colleges paying the way for parents to go to games, away games, and so on. I, I don't know how that helps a student. But uh, they're trying to do whatever they can uh, because there's more money being generated, and people know it. And it's time that they step up and uh, give the players some more uh, uh, incentives, not paying them, but giving them what a normal student should have as far as feeling and being a part of the campus and not coming in my office and telling me, coach, I'm hungry. Coach, I don't have any money. Coach, my parents just passed away or my uncle just passed away. How do I get home? Or, or coach, how do I get to the campus when he's from Florida? I said, and I don't have any money to get there. I mean, why be dealing with these type of things? Be able to pay their way to the campus because those problems all exist that people don't talk about, okay? People don't talk about those things, but they all exist. They all exist. That's why you're far better off recruiting locally, but you don't have those problems with parents coming to your campus or kids going home on the weekends. So uh, all of these, you know, things add up when you – when you're in the business, or they call it amateur athletics, supposedly, but when you pay a coach two and a half million a year, or three million a year, and an AD two or three million a year, tell me about amateur athletics. Uh, coach, I want to bring up a couple of points from that. The second part of his email was a lot about the player pay, and it, it sounds like from what you're saying, you don't think players should be paid like a salary kind of thing. I mean, that opens a whole can of worms, but you have no problems with taking care of you know health and all the uh, everything that people like what he was talking about the O'Bannon case and, and what they're looking for the Northwestern like the unionization thing uh, they're not those cases really aren't looking for paper play according to MACD either but they want to you know take care of all the benefits uh, and you want to make sure you do that as well Ryan exactly uh, I want the players to receive benefits but I don't want them to be employees you're going to college with the college experience. You want to have the same feeling with the fraternity people and your people on campus with you. You don't want to be looked at differently as, uh, oh, you're an employee at the university. You're not a college student. You know, many of the students on USC's campus and all of these campuses are on scholarship. So it's, 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 a, it's a privilege to be on scholarship. So, yes, but additionally, they should have to be able – they should be able to have – money that's part of the scholarship. It's part of the scholarship 
for travel or for meals or for whatever they want to use it for, three or $500 a month for miscellaneous expenses. There's nothing wrong with that. But to be a employer, you're going to charge them income tax? I mean, are they going to have a K-1? Uh, are they going to pay their own insurance? I mean, I don't know. I just think that too many changes too quickly uh, causes a problem. Because I love it. I love college athletics. And uh, and I love to see it be successful and stay around. And kids have the opportunity of going to college. I've had so many kids have the opportunity that I know go to college because of their athletic ability and academic opportunities that they've gained from it that it's absolutely tremendous, and I don't want to see that change. And uh, one last point that he was making, Coach, I wanted to get your comments on. Uh, we know football is the most popular sport, NFL and college. I mean, it's, it's obviously immensely popular, blows the other American sports away. Uh, but it is kind of like college football is like a minor league. There really isn't another option for a, a play, like a baseball player can go professional right out of high school. If they go to college, they have to stay for three years. Football, you don't really have that option. And I agree with you that it's a tremendous opportunity to go be able to get a, a college degree and get a college education. But you know there's a lot of players that, for whatever reason, didn't want it, don't feel that that's really their, their path. If there was an option for them to play football that wasn't to go to college, they would likely take it. I mean, do you, you kind of take that into consideration? If a player's going, he didn't really want to be in college in the first place, but that was his best opportunity to try to make it to the NFL. So it, I don't know if it's about being loyal. It's more about he really didn't want to go in the first place, but that was his only option. No, I don't like that because when you're in high school, what's your, what's your goals of getting good grades? Or why do you care about going to school? All you care about is playing football. Yeah, because you know you can go to somewhere and play anyway, whether it's a league or whatever. You know, what's your educational educate? Why do you need an education? I'm gonna be an NFL player. But what if you aren't an NFL player? What if you are an NFL player? Don't you have to have some type of idea of what college is about? Learn basic skills in high school and college as far as being able to manage yourself and know what's right and know what's wrong. Uh, and, you know, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, they're going to have a minor league, they're going to have a D league, whatever they're calling this, where kids don't have to go to college and play. Uh, hey, if you have a chance to go to college and educate yourself along the route, I think it's great. What would be your reason to pass the SAT or take the college core courses? You don't have to do that anymore. Uh, I, I'm just not, I'm not for that at all. Because I've seen so many leagues, unless the NCAA or somebody's going to finance this, I guess the NFL would have to finance it and make it a minor league like they do in baseball. But who's going to finance it? Look how many leagues have started in football, professional leagues that haven't made it. I mean, they all go the year or two, and then they're gone, dust. Well, what happens to all these kids if they didn't go to college now? You can't even get a job if you're a college graduate, Harley, now. Yeah. It's tough enough with a college degree. So I just think we should keep the academic part of it. It's the experience of being on a college campus and uh, being part of athletics as far as, you know, being an athlete and an academic student. All right. Well, great stuff, Coach. We got to a lot of uh, reaction from fans about stuff you said, so we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll get more. So uh, you can follow him. You can, if you want to tweet him, at Coach Harvey Hyde. You can tweet me at Inside Troy. But thanks again, Coach, for uh, coming on and sharing your thoughts. Hey, thank you very much. And for all of you out there, uh, we appreciate you being a part of our podcast. And, uh, and uh, again, to uh, Sergeant, what was his name, Sergeant? Uh, I think it was Jesse Rodriguez. Jesse, was Jesse it? Rodriguez. I believe it was Sanchez, Jesse Rodriguez. whoever it was. 
Thank you very much, buddy, for serving in our services. How's that? Sounds good, Coach. Thank you and everyone else back in a minute here. We're going to talk to Dan Weber a little more about reaction to what we felt about the USC spring game. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. As promised, USCfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining the show. Hey, Dan, how's it going, man? Very good. Very good. Enjoying uh, now the look forward time period here. Looking forward to summer workouts and looking forward to summer practice and Looking forward to August 30th. Um, August 30th, big, obviously big for USC to get back, and uh, Steve Sarkeesian start that. August 4th is the tentative date uh, where fall camp is going to start. No, nothing really interesting came of that, Dan, right? It seems pretty generic about when they're going to start fall camp. It's usually about the same time every year. Yeah, oh, and we uh, didn't mention uh, the two uh, Pac-12 media days. Uh, yes. Two days, count them, too. So, uh uh, and I do think uh, it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> people get all excited about, boy, you know, Pac-12 is getting serious. They're going to two media days, and you realize that uh, at the same time, uh, the SEC is going to four media days. <laughs> so, so anyway, they, they went from three to four. So, but you know, I think it's a it's a sign of of seriousness. It is kind of rushed the way the Pac-12 does it now, uh, and so. I think uh, doing it two two days in a row and doing it, uh, they're going to the Sony. Uh, is it Sony? I, no, uh, excuse me, uh, Paramount this year. It's always okay. uh, we've gone from Sony to Universal, uh, and and this year it's going to be Paramount. So uh, I do think uh, you know someone at the Pac-12 is looking for a, a job as the head of a studio. I just have a sense, <laughs> uh, just in the back of my mind. That would, uh, yeah, <laughs> that would make some sense there. I know they want to give it the whole Hollywood feel and everything, and it's kind of fun at the studios. I mean, I, I did like, really like it when they did it at uh, the Rose Bowl back in the day, but I do like two days. At least they're expanding it. I'm curious to see what the schedule is going to be like. Uh, but they need a golf tournament, Dan. we got to have one of those out here. Oh, that's true. I guess that is a big part of the uh, – when you go to Hoover, Alabama you um, uh, for four days uh, – I did actually cover a couple of those, and uh, technically at that time they were in Birmingham, and uh, I do remember thinking, you know, how in the world can I get through? And th- at the time, I think it was just two days for for the SEC. They were the only ones doing a two 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 day uh, media day, and 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 you did in the middle of July, two days in Birmingham was absolutely enough time. Uh, to get everything, everything you wanted to do and more. So thinking about what four days is like in Birmingham in the middle of July is, 
is more than I can probably uh, handle. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get more into uh, Pac-12 Media Days and fall, the start of fall camp later on in the uh, the summer when we talk on the podcast. If you have any questions for that, just always you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. But I wanted to get to a topic, and we, we kind of talked about this a lot in the previous segment with uh, Coach Harvey Hyde, Dan, but there was a couple questions uh, for you uh, on this as well. Uh, first is Frank in Sacramento. He said, I figured it out. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian did not want to give any opponents, any of his opponents, any idea of what the Trojans would be running on offense or defense this year. I remember back in 2005 when Pete Carroll was asked about a televised spring game. He said, no way, but I sure enjoyed watching the Arkansas spring game. That's from Frank in Sacramento. Yeah, I, I think that plays into it a little bit. Uh, you know, have some mystery out there. Uh, you know, the first couple of games, uh, Fresno State, it will be different for them. They played, you know, it's back-to-back games against Fresno State, and yet they're going to have to have a, a different preparation and not one that they're going to be absolutely certain about. So uh, so I think it helps there. And then you go to, you know, the next week, uh, you've got Stanford thinking, did they show us anything at Fresno State? Yeah, I think it, it probably plays into it. I don't think that plays into it uh, nearly as much as the uh, we've got enough done in the first 13 practices and we don't need to get anybody hurt. And that the most important thing we can do from here on out, Sark is thinking to himself, is uh, to keep everybody healthy and uh, maybe you know look at some of the kids we haven't possibly gotten as much of a chance to look at, like a Ty Isaac who was hurt for much of the uh, much of spring, or James Tolan, who started off real strong, and then he got dinged up and then missed a couple of weeks, and so they got the bulk of the carries, for example. But they didn't really need to see, you know, uh, Cody throwing the ball to Nelson. I think they they really do know what they think they've got there. And uh, say a George Farmer, not quite ready to uh, to go all out, uh, just getting to that point, but. You know, some of those things that you might say, well, we, you could have seen that. Yeah, they, they didn't feel like they had to. And they turned the defense loose, and I think they wanted to see that. So, uh, and looking back at it, I can understand, you know, what they were doing. And it, it made sense. And I do think Sark is going to follow Pete's pattern there a little bit. Now, one of the interesting things, as open as USC's practices were, uh, they never allowed other college coaches to come in. I think, uh, uh, Frank Solich at Nebraska was the only current college, and he had just been, I guess, let go and gotten the Ohio U job. But in all my time covering USC with Pete, no other college coach was always, uh, you know, we, we want to keep it here in terms of uh, distributing exactly what it is we're doing. Yeah, that was interesting. He's very open. He He would allow... I mean, the media, when I remember you talking about when they played Oklahoma for the Orange Bowl, um, allow the Oklahoma media in there and, and let them do whatever they wanted. Like, and he would comment that, you know, they don't really even know what they're seeing. Uh, but he didn't want other college coaches. So having a broadcast spring game was something he was against. I wonder what he would think about it now, where it's kind of mandated by the, the conference network that your spring game would have to be broadcast. Maybe he wouldn't want to show anything either. No, I, I, I think that's a would have been what Pete would have done pretty much. I mean, you're, uh, you know, you're starting quarterback through the fewest passes. Uh, your, um, you know, your best all-American receiver caught one. Uh, 
you know, your Buck Allen and Trey Madden between them got five carries. Uh, that I think, I think that might have be be what Pete would have done as well. <laughs> you know, people can break that stuff down and really pick up some. You know, to, obviously they're going to look at last year's film and they're going to have. Uh, although some of them won't have Trey Madden, for example, he didn't play against a lot of those teams, and some of them won't have Buck Allen. So. Uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see uh, if you were uh, an early opponent of USC, do you get anything out of the spring game? I don't. I don't think you get a lot. You, you get. I mean, they didn't even really run hurry up. I know Sark came out and said we ran about a hundred plays, <clears throat> or eighty-five by, by actual yeah. number. <laughs> they, they weren't running them quite as fast. And, and I wish you know that you know the fans that were there would have gotten a little more of a sense of, of, of what we're seeing in practice. But, um, but you know, if, if you're going to make that decision that this is all about, you know, winning games, uh, you know, starting August 30th, um, you, could, you could justify it. I think I probably would have put out a little bit of a, an early uh, warning to the fans and even to the media that maybe that's the direction we're going to go, that this might not even look like a practice, much less like a game. Uh, and, and we're going to do some specific things, but uh, we're not going to. And yet they, you know, they. I guess because they didn't do it on offense, it's easy to say they didn't really go after it. But they went after it on defense. So, uh, you know, even though they didn't tackle most of the time, they still, um, you know, you've got a sense of this is how they're going to play defense, even without Leonard Williams and Josh Shaw and Sue Cravens, which uh, probably helped make people feel pretty good about it. Because after. After it was over, down on the field, most people were pretty happy about the chance to to be there and you know get a get autographs and just have a sense of uh, you know they're down on the field again and remembering what it was like to be down on the field after the uh, Stanford game. So I think there was a lot of that. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, well, one last thing on this this topic, Dan. I wanted to. I think Sam's a first time emailer and he had an interesting story, so I wanted to read his. Question as well. He says, I know Coach Harvey Hyde didn't like the vanilla offense during the spring game, but given our injury situation, the fact that the team will face Stanford the second week of the coming season, uh, why give anything away for them to study and prepare for? So that's kind of what we've been talking about. But then he said, by the way, I saw Dan Weber last year. We were on the same flight to Hawaii. I wanted to get his autograph, but my two-year-old daughter was clinging to me, clinging on to me the whole time. I was that short Asian guy. He probably doesn't remember. Uh, but that's Sam wanted to comment. And I don't know if you remember a short Asian guy on your flight to Hawaii, Dan, but that was Sam. I remember his daughter, actually. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good. That was, well, there were, you know, it was interesting. That, that you could tell there were USC people there. And people do. <clears throat> one of the advantages of doing the podcast is people recognize you from the podcast. And, and that's the thing. It gives you a chance to, in effect, you get to go into their homes or go into their office and talk to them, uh, you know, on a daily or a weekly basis. And um, it is one of the, the best ways of communicating with people, uh, or the incident analysis, excuse me, uh, really allows people to get to know you. And uh, it's very neat. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it's just a great opportunity. So, uh, so that's great. I, 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 I do, uh, I, I still tell people this story a couple of years ago after USC had upset Oregon. And we're flying out of Portland, and I'm standing in line behind um, oh, the uh, guy, the guy used to be the coach at um, at Northwestern, 
Gary, Gary Barnett, Barnett yeah. okay? And he had done the game on radio the night before. And so I'm just happened to be standing, uh, waiting to board behind him. And here come a bunch of people who obviously were at the game. <laughs> and I, and I know he probably thought they were coming. They were heading to our line <laughs> and they went right past Gary and they came up to me and said, are you Dan Weber? I don't know. You know, <laughs> and he turns around and he's looking at me like, who the hell is this? <laughs> and then we got to talking and it was, it was great. But it was a whole bunch of USC guys who knew me from the podcast and or from the uh, incident analysis. And they went right past Gary Barnett like he wasn't there. So, uh, so that was, uh, you do, that stuff does happen to you, actually. That's pretty funny. Uh, yeah. All right, well, we'll get off the uh, spring game vanilla offense topic. And uh, Dan, another Dan, had a question for you. He was like, I'm hoping that your experts could shed some light on the subject of off-season training camps, uh, off-site, excuse me, uh, training camps, and he puts in parentheses the Bruins training in San Bernardino. How do players attend summer school? I doubt they are commuting back and forth. And what are the rules going around for off-site uh, practices like this? Uh, could this be yet another area of competition like the facilities arms race? And is there a fundraising campaign in the works for a football training camp for USC in Hawaii next summer? It feels like a great another way that schools can go overboard dominating the lives of their players. That's from Dan. Dan, you, you're spending a lot of time thinking about this stuff. And actually, uh, that sounds like you know the kind of thing – the guy who was the best at that, I thought, was, was uh, Rick Neuheisel, who had his law degree from USC, and he would, uh, you know, put that to really good use uh, uh, in some ways and probably not so good use in other ways. But I, I really don't. I know there are limitations as to how long you can go. I don't know that are there limitations to how far you can go. That's a really good question. I think there are. I think you basically have to be in the same general area. Now, I always used to remember, teams used to do this a lot more than they do now. They used to do these real kind of uh, Spartan, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, Marine Corps kind of deals where they'd take these kids out to places with uh, that barely had running water and uh, toughen them up and all that. You know, I think Frank Trish at Arizona State used to do it, and a lot of, a lot of places did it. Uh, but as far as incorporating it with summer school, that's a good question. Um, you know, I know because of the quarter system at UCLA and some of the uh, other Pac-12 schools around the country, I know it works differently. Say it would be hard for USC to do off-site if kids are still going to do the second summer session. And I know they're, they've gone back and forth about whether kids um, – uh, should be in that second summer session and, and conflict with August practice. And uh, at times there were rules, you know, not to do that, but then there are cases where because of a certain major or a certain course uh, that's needed, they have to do it. And I'll check on that. Those are very interesting questions. And, and is there going to be a uh, an arms race in terms of what teams are allowed to do? Uh, you know, where I... Andy uh, Staples from Sports Illustrated had a really interesting column last week about the arms race in uh, food preparation right. and, <laughs> and celebrity chefs and all the possibilities. And he was being funny and trying to be over the top. I'm not sure he was being over the top. <laughs> I think there's a chance uh, that there are places 
that will do that very thing. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I, I'm working on a, a, a just asking for this week about all the potential changes that could happen in, in college football and what what that could mean, you know, with the uh, the NCAA allowing the 65 and the Power 5 conferences to kind of go their way and what all that could mean. And, and I don't think we've got a lot of those answers. I don't think we've got a lot of answers about a lot of things as to where uh, where college football is going to go. And, and you bring up the kinds of questions that have kind of gotten the NCAA into trouble because they are splitting hairs about things like, well, you can't have peanut butter uh, out uh, for the kids in their, on the snack bar, but you can put a $2,500 peanut butter making machine and you can put peanuts out and then they can make their own peanut butter and that's okay. I mean, that dancing on the head of a pin, uh, you know, uh, those kinds of determinations uh, are, are just crazy and uh, haven't done the NCAA or, you know, college football any good. But uh, but you asked a really good question, and I don't know. And, you know, would would some teams take it to the limit? I mean, the, 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 those things like uh, summer camp has kind of a self-limiting thing. Like if you took them to a really nice place, how do you get them ready? You know, if there's all kinds of attractions there for them, how do you get them ready for football? Uh, so there are ways in which you probably wouldn't want to do that. Uh, but uh, – but what are the limitations? I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, and I think I think you you're right though about the trend. It's not really UCLA go to San Bernardino. It's something they've been doing for a while. It's not like a new trend where they're trying to gain an advantage. If anything, it's probably more old school than than you know than others do. I mean, I think people like you said have done it before, and they realize like, well, with summer school, we want to get you know there's more opportunity for these guys to get a few more credits while they're on campus if they're already right there just let them go to school we can train in our normal facilities we don't have to go out and uh like you know bear bryant used to do at texas a&m and put them out in the middle of nowhere you know all that kind of stuff and, with rocks on the field and things like that that that's not really the modern way of training i guess you could say yeah the, the junction boys you doubt that's ever going to happen and, and one of the things i think is uh if you do gear up your food preparation which usc is going to do and thank goodness, and everybody else, uh, then you go away, say, and you're out in San Bernardino, that really is hard to translate that from uh, your normal situation to an off-site place. So, so I think, uh, you know, and, and the medical stuff and all that, you know, you've got to take all the training stuff with you, and uh, whether, you know, that's a plus or not uh, going forward, uh, my, my guess would be that's a lot of work for not – I mean, I think at UCLA, I think it worked because it changed the culture. You know, it was such a difference, uh, you know, to be out there in the heat in the semi-desert and you're not in Westwood, and that might not have been a, a bad thing. And obviously it's worked out, you know, for, for them. But uh, but I'm not sure, for example, when USC went down to UC Irvine, is that a better, uh, is that a better you know, situation? It seems like it's an awful lot of a lot of work to, to not get into a better place. I mean, the ideal thing is that USC now that they've gotten the turf in such great shape on both the, you know, the practice fields and the Coliseum that, uh, that to me is the key to, to really have that, uh, you know, in the shape it's in now and to be able to, you know, withstand, uh, practice and not dry out, not, they've had some, you know, issues over the years with, uh, with that, but, uh, if you've got that figured out, 
and you've got the McKay Center right there. You've got the Galen Center for dining. Uh, you know, I don't know that you need to go off campus at all. All right. Uh, let's go to Terry, and he had a really good question here. Uh, it appears that with the depth at running back right now, DJ Morgan would not is not likely to see the field. What's your take on his status and his ability to contribute uh, in his upcoming final year? Well, I know he thinks he can get himself all the way back. He thinks the last thing, the last procedure, took away the the, the thing that you know kept coming back and you know irritating him and that knee. And he thinks with his experience that he could you know offer them a you know a kick returner, uh, a pass receiver, you know a guy that could catch the ball in space and uh, get upfield quickly. And I think he's trying to find himself a role that could then translate to the next level. And, uh, you know, it's happened before where guys maybe haven't gotten a chance to, you know, completely you know, prove themselves in college, but, uh, but they get healthy and, uh, and, and use that. So, I mean, I think he, the last time I talked to him, he was pretty upbeat. Uh, if the knee comes around, which he thinks they really have, you know, figured it out, and they, the last procedure is, you know, going to clean, clean it out and, and stop the irritation and, all of that, uh, that he's got a chance. So, uh, you know, it wouldn't be bad to see him. Uh, they, you know, they were atrocious on kickoff returns, for example, last year. Uh, and I don't think you're probably going to want, uh, with all the work that Nelson's going to get uh, as a pass receiver and a punt returner, uh, it'd be ideal to have a kind of a veteran guy who's got breakaway speed uh, at a spot like that. You got, you're going to have Adore also. But, uh, but I think that's the role he's looking for. There's some kind of a combination role that uh, could translate to uh, a really good, you know, a big pick-me-up for USC this year and, a, and maybe a place for him at the next level if the knee finally is uh, okay. All right, good stuff there, Dan. Yeah, be, be on the watch. Be on the lookout for uh, DJ Morgan. We definitely will. We'll follow him throughout fall camp. Uh, let's go to Tarek, Dan. He said, now that Steve Sarkeesian has anointed Cody Kessler the starter, what does Kessler need to improve on in order to get USC a Pac-12 and a national championship? Well, I kid, Cody. I tell him the first thing I do is throw in his uh, high-top high, high top lineman shoes. Uh, I said, <laughs> you look like Johnny Unitas. I said, you probably don't even remember who the heck Johnny Unitas is. But I said, it's just honestly, he's, got, uh, he's had some issues with his ankles over the years, and I think he likes that extra support. I, I told him, I said, I'd wear... You know, get Marquis those you know special lightweight uh, Nike shoes or whatever. I said, I said, if nothing else, it'll make you look quicker. Uh, one of the things I'd like to see him do is uh, he's so conscientious about his reads and letting plays develop, and he does throw the ball so well on the run that there may be times where you would have liked to have seen him take off uh, a split second sooner, and. Uh, other than that, um, I mean, I think I, I think he's adjusted well to the the quick ball handling, for example, the the reading the dive option and and still throwing the ball over the middle, pulling it out, that kind of thing. Um, uh, he's worked on the thing. I think he really decided to work on this year was throwing the deep ball, the arm strength, and I think he's really become accurate there. Uh, and I think they're going to take advantage. With the run game, they want to hurt you badly if uh, uh, if you come up to stop the run, which 
So you're going to hope to be able to make it. So you have to, you know, in the secondary, you have to feel like you got to support the run uh, and uh, and beat people deep. And he's throwing that ball well. Maybe the, you know, like the one, the pass that everybody says is the key, key, crucial uh, determinant in, in terms of, you know, the next level is that deep out, you know, that deep out ball and really, uh, you know, just being able to absolutely unload it when you have to. He's doing the thing I like so much is he's throwing the ball on the money in terms of catching in yards after the catch. I think he's throwing the ball where guys are able to catch it and convert it to uh, yards up the field uh, with no, uh, you know, no need to move their, you know, hands around or, you know, catch it behind them or anything like that. But, uh, but I think, um, you know, I think he's on on the way to uh, you know maximizing you know his ability. He's got you know good leadership skills. He's he's the kind of kid that you know everything changes in terms of how they call the plays this year, and yet he's confident and comfortable. Says you know I'm fine either way. You know reading out you know the the ten word play call last year <laughs> off his wristband or you know making the one one or two word call. So what we're hearing. <clears throat> As simple as it is to call the play, uh, call it out to the linemen with the hand signals for all the skill guys, that there's an awful lot of complexity in, in terms of, of the skill people, in terms of what they're going, what they do, and what they have to know, and uh, which obviously translates to the quarterback as well. But um, um, you know, I just think just general quickness. You know, his feet are pretty. He's got good feet. But just the quick-footedness to be able to say, now's the time to go. And not that you want him to do that a lot, but enough to, again, gives him the ability uh, still to throw on the run. And I think that's the thing he may do best of all, is that ability to throw accurately on the run. Well, we'll be watching for him in the fall. And, of course, USC fans, I know they've seen him start last year. He'll be the full-time starter now, and uh, we, you know, no questions asked. We'll see what goes on with Cody Kessler and see how well he can uh, lead this Trojans with Steve Sarkeesian. So that's definitely going to be a big storyline. Uh, one last question, Dan. Uh, this is kind of a topic we talked about before, but I was hanging out with a couple of my friends that are both USC graduates, and they were asking me about this the other day too. So I know it's still something that has people concerned. It's about uh, USC season tickets. So uh, let me play the voicemail for, question for you. Hi, this is Richard from Toluca Lake. I was wondering what uh, you, Ryan, and uh, the coach and Dan Weber think about Hayden's uh, dog and pony show about maybe having season ticket holders having to ante up over the next few years and pay up to $16,000 or $4,000 per seat to keep their seats. I've never gotten so many emails and stuff in my life. Number two, I'd like to know from Dan Weber what he thinks about uh, Byron Wesley transferring and how that's going to affect the team and what that says about Enfield. I enjoy your show very much. Thanks for listening. Bye. Okay, two good questions. Uh, I do think, the uh, again, their theory in sending out that summary and asking those questions was not to prepare anybody and just see what kind of response they get. Uh, I think that Unfortunately, there was a shock value in in what they were doing uh, when it hit people, and they said, "Is this for real? Is this what they're going to do? Are they just telling us that they're just asking the questions?" But uh, so, hopefully, it it materialized in the way that the survey company uh, wanted is 
that it got them the real answers, that people responded in a absolute uh, direct way, and that they got the word. I mean, I think the, the biggest worry is uh, they have to figure out a way to pay for this. Uh, you know, my, my number one choice is to uh, invite the NCAA to come in and uh, <laughs> you know, make USC whole for the damage it's cost USC in the past 10 years. And uh, that would be my, my number one place to start. And I do think you get a lot of people excited about it if they, if they went that route. I don't think they should put it all in the back of the loyal season ticket holders who've been there for USC, you know, through thick and thin. That's, uh, that would not be my way, uh, my first way to go. Uh, so uh, we'll see how that plays out. I think they're listening. I think they're paying attention to you. And uh, they have to, and I think Pat has indicated that they have to be able to do it in a way that does not, uh, cost them uh, the support of all these loyal fans over the years. They've really got to figure out, you know, they've got to thread this needle and they've got to, they can't be in a bubble. They've got to pay attention. So the one good thing about that survey is it took them out of their bubble and they sent it to, you know, close to 250,000 people. So they should have gotten enough, you know, good information as to, you know, what, what, what people were thinking and what, they can do i'd like them to say you know before they do that here's what we're going to do here's what we're going to do for you here's what here's how this is going to work and make that kind of a commitment and not say it's got to you know come on on the backs of uh, uh you know the people that have been the most loyal as to byron wesley i i think it's very hard to understand what happened with the upperclassmen um it just seemed to be a washout. Um, you know, I I thought Omar Robbie would take a little bit of a step forward after the way he finished his uh, junior year. That didn't happen. He took a you know a step backward. Um, you know, DJ you know Haley was uh, you know seven foot starter at Virginia Commonwealth. Now, he didn't play that much uh, all the time, and but you know a great smart kid uh, who was okay, but. Um, uh, not as much as maybe you thought you would get there. Pishon, uh, you know, uh, and he started three years at Maryland as a point guard, uh, you know, a little bit of a, not a traditional point guard as much. Uh, JT Terrell, you know, had a better junior year than he had a senior year. And then Byron with, uh, you know, not making the bus for the Long Beach game that probably cost him that game. And, and other issues as, as the year went on, the fact that he didn't get even an honorable mention, and he was the, either the sixth or seventh leading scorer in the Pac-12, didn't get even an honorable mention. Uh, USC was the only team that didn't get a single person on any category uh, on the you know all Pac-12 teams. Uh, something didn't work right. Something they didn't look like they were on the same page. I mean. If you look at the end of the year, look at the NCAA tournament. You know, beating Dayton at Dayton, that was a that was a, a it took a pretty good basketball team to do that. Beating Xavier in the tournament that took a pretty good basketball team. Where that team went by the time they got the Pac-12 season, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that says. And it says that you know Byron is not saying anything negative about USC, but it does say he wasn't confident in what it would mean for him to stay another year at USC. 
and he's going to take a shot and uh, and see what what's out there for him. And some of the schools that he's looking at, you know, Indiana, uh, Cincinnati, uh, Baylor, some pretty good basketball programs. And I can imagine why, you know, you get a kid that's averaged almost 17 points a game to come in as a senior who's already graduated is um, that'd be great for you know any of those programs. Why it wouldn't have been better to be at USC for next year? Yeah, I think that's worrisome, and I I think we we do need some answers. And you, you wish that year one would have been a building block, but it doesn't look. It looks like next year is going to be year one again, uh, where you bring in a new recruiting class and say, okay, we're going to try to go forward with these guys. Uh, and you hate to throw away a season. I'm not sure you did, but right now, if somebody said to you, uh, how does USC win basketball games? What's the USC style? What's, uh, what's a USC team look like? I don't know. I mean, I think we knew what a Florida Gulf Coast team looked like. Right. <laughs> or we thought we did. But what does a USC basketball team look like right now? I don't think we know. I like the recruits coming in. I think he's done, they've done a really good job. Uh, Jordan McLaughlin and those guys. I like the the two transfers that are sitting there. I like the two freshmen that played a lot last year. And uh, you know, so you've got some you got some things to work with. I just wish we had a better sense of what happened this year, and I don't think we know. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff as always. It's always fun to talk to you about USC football. Late April, but we're still going to be talking football for. Every week, like we've been doing for six-plus years here on the Peristyle Podcast, there's always something to talk about. So thanks, everyone, for your questions, and thanks, Dan, for answering them. Hey, good questions. Really good questions. Uh, You guys have been thinking. Yeah. That's great. (laughs) Good stuff. All right, Dan, thanks again. And everyone else, we really appreciate you tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.